Welcome to another edition of the Litigation Psychology Podcast brought to you by Corporate Sciences. Dr. Bill Kanaski, it is the dog days of summer. Oh my God, I can't take it anymore. 95 degrees every day. Horrible humidity here in Florida. Paul Moat, Chicago, Illinois trial attorney extraordinaire. Uncle Polly, how are you doing today? Doing well, doing well. Good to be back. Yeah, it's always good to have you uh, on the podcast. I wanted to have you on again, Paul, because um, we got some weird things happening. We have a thriving plaintiff's bar. We have, particularly have um, younger and middle-aged plaintiff attorneys, you know, getting a lot of training, a lot of trial experience, and um, they're they're doing really um, they're doing really well on defense side. I hear in I just day in day out from dozens and dozens of partners. I can't keep a good associate. I can't find a replacement associate. No one wants to work past five o'clock. Nobody wants to work on weekends. <clears throat> I'm working, you know, a hundred hours a week because I can't get any help and a number of other um, issues for, for attorneys, particularly defense counsel. Um, you know, I respect you very uh, deeply. You, you've worked very hard uh, to get w- where you're at. Um, you're not old like me, but you're getting there. I will say that you're getting there. You're doing really well at that. I thought this would be a good time to talk about um, being a good, being a good attorney, being a successful uh, attorney. I think maybe the definition of those things has changed here. Uh, I think there's some generational um, gaps. Now you're kind of stuck in the middle of it, kind of where you are. You've got some people ahead of you, you got some people below you. So you're kind of sandwiched in the middle. What, Uncle Polly, what, what are your thoughts on this topic? Because th- this, this is a, this is a problem. Um, Cause I, I, again, I'm hearing two things. I'm hearing frustrated attorneys trying to surround themselves um, with, 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 with talented people that have a high work ethic that want to be successful. Um, some struggles with that. Also, you know, attorneys trying to get up that, you know, career ladder. And um, I think this is an important topic uh, for our, our audience. First of all, what are your experience with this? Because again, you, you, I think you've been very uh, successful. There's been a couple of uh, bumps on the road and we'll talk about potential uh, uh, bumps on, in, in, in the road, but tell us about you know, your experience and maybe some of your expectations early on versus the reality of having a career as a trial attorney. Well, so I'm in my 15th year of practice, and I can't believe I'm I'm at that point right now. It's, it's still mind-boggling that um, I get trusted with uh, clients and cases, but at the same time, I think at this point, I, I I have a good idea. I know what 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 to do, know what I'm doing, but you know, you're you're hitting it right on the head that. The, finding good associates, finding good attorneys is, is very, very difficult right now in this market. And it's not just attorneys, it's across every single field. Yes. Uh, you know, I, at my old firm, I was the managing partner for three years. Yeah. There were some other issues involved there in terms of, you know, the salary structure for associates made, you know, unfortunately due to the, the equity situation at that firm, it was a uh, uh, one, one person. And, and unfortunately it wasn't me setting the, um, setting the salary scales and that even before the great resignation and the pandemic, yeah. um, 
you know, we, we saw just high turnover and losing the people that you wanted to talk with. Uh, now, post-pandemic or endemic, whatever stage we are on, pandemic year three, yeah. uh, the monkeypox edition, yeah. uh, you know, we're... <laughs> We're, we're seeing it even more and more trying. It seems like the younger associate class, you know, I just turned 40, so I, I don't consider myself old yet, but, you know, I've been a partner now for uh, almost half my career, uh, you know, seven years as a partner. And it, it's, it's one of those things that I, I am concerned about, you know, what that next generation of attorneys is going to look like, because, yeah. Right now, it seems a lot of younger associates, those those type of associates that you can say, hey, this is a person that is going to be the, a future partner at the firm. I could see molding this person into a talented associate and potentially be on that partnership track, you know, with that three to five years and the yeah. five to seven, five to eight, five to nine years, that those two gaps, it's, it, it seems one of the biggest things that that's hampering the defense bar. And, and I think it's, it's more than just the defense bar, but it's chasing the money of a better paycheck, the signing yeah. bonuses, you know, uh, claims of a better work-life balance. I know there are more and more defense firms that are, you know, going from 2000 billable hours down to 1900, down to 1800. It, it's, there's going to be a lot of issues, you know, long-term in yeah. terms of how the, you know, defense firms work in, in the entire legal industry that works on a billable hour scale, just because there is a very large demand for that work-life balance, you know, the, the live to work, work to live, the, that, yeah. that whole dichotomy, it, you know, we're seeing the Gen Z, I think we're on Gen Z attorneys, uh, but, you know, the millennials and whatever came after millennials, uh, <laughs> I, I don't even know. I, I'm technically a millennial. I, I graduated high school in 2000, but, you I'm know, sorry to hear that. You're, you're, <laughs> you're absolutely right. There are people that want to work less and less yeah. and that's fine. That's absolutely fine. However, if you're going to be a trial attorney Different and be story. a successful trial attorney. Different story, right? I mean. <laughs> you, can't, you can't work nine to five and yeah. take an hour, hour lunch and take weekends off. You just can't do that because the plaintiff's bar is going to outwork, outwork you. Agreed. There are going to be defense lawyers. I, I'd like to consider myself one. I know plenty coast to coast that will outwork you especially when you're getting close to trial and the run up to trial, when you, you know, you get everything done, you're working 15, 18, 20 hour days. Then when you get on trial, it's more of the same, you know, you, you get like one, one half, half night off uh, a week during trial and that's Friday night. Unfortunately with the nine to five crowd in the legal profession, you can't have that sort of uh, dedication where it's getting harder to find. Yeah. So you know, there's, it is definitely a, it's a problem that, that, that we're facing here. Um, what's, what's I, I the strategy? Some magic bullet to fix yeah, it. I, I know. What's the, uh, something I think our audience would appreciate. I don't know if there's an answer to this question. I think there's some obvious answers, but maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Um, how do you keep good people? Besides money? I think money's, I'm, I'm sorry, money's important. My wife just went to Costco. 
and she came back and it was like $420. I'm like, what, what, what'd you do? Buy a, buy a used car? I'm, what, what, what in the world's going on? She's like, the prices are insane. I mean, I understand money. Um, and yes, gas is still up there. What do you, what do you do besides money? I think m- money can be generated. Money's always there. What can you do to keep good people, keep them loyal and, and, and keep them hardworking in a, in a law firm? You know, it, it is, it, you're absolutely right. It's a multifaceted problem. Money isn't the end all be all, but it definitely makes the decision for an associate or a partner even to move yeah. that much easier. Yeah, You have to, you know, first and foremost with your associates, you have to let them know their value because they are, yeah. you know, the, yes, as from a partner's perspective, they are working up your cases. They are generating revenue that you're getting credit for. But, you know, you have to let them know that you, you don't just look at them as a human cash register. You look at them as a professional that you want to, to help develop. And that's that's how I, you know, really look at that my associates and this is what I've done over the entirety of my career when I've when I've had associates, uh, you know, it, it's know that they're valued, give them the opportunities to broaden their professional horizons. That means taking key depositions from time to time. Once they're ready, I'm not saying, okay, well, I got a tea time tomorrow at 9.15. You get to take that key liability expert. Don't screw up now. Uh, No, you you can't do that, but you you really have to partner with the associate and you have to have buy-in from them, you have to be bought in in the process. It can't just be one of those situations where you're going to send out an email every other week, like, what's the status on this file? One yeah. sentence email, or even worse, what status? Question mark. Yeah. You're, you know, you, you can't just, you can't do the bare minimum. Uh, one thing that, that we are, uh, my firm Siegel McCambridge is doing in our Chicago office, we, we're throwing like weekly or bi-weekly lunches and, and happy hours just to try and get the camaraderie back yeah. in to the office. I mean, we're in our Chicago office, we're still, we still have the option to work remotely. And, I, and frankly, I work remotely most days, but I'm talking to my associates on my files, whether that's on the phone, in Teams, Zoom, text message, email. But, you know, it's it, it's about the way my management style is, is I want to have a sense of humor. I don't want to take things too seriously. Um, and I don't want associates to think that they can't come to me. Mm-hmm. There's a time and a place in my practice where you have to be stone cold serious. Yeah. There's a lot of that, especially in the defense bar, and especially when you're dealing with catastrophic injury. But you can't be so serious that associates aren't afraid to ask questions, that they aren't afraid to take risks, that they aren't, you know, afraid to get out of their comfort zone. I want to have a a a, a dynamic, a working dynamic where we can, you know, I, I we can guide them so that they can take a leap, but you know, still I'm thinking in the back of my mind, okay, worst case scenario, they, they make a mistake. What can I, is there a way for me to, to, um, to help clean it up? And usually there always is. Usually there always is. How do you, you said the magic word, um, mistakes. Um, how do you communicate constructive criticism, um, 
two associates and, and, and be effective. I know um, that um, it's a very touchy subject, particularly with millennials. Um, many, uh, many people, I'm not just talking attorneys, uh, do not take constructive criticism well. Uh, they feel they're being attacked, even if you're not attacking them. Uh, I came as the Gen Xer on this podcast. Uh, uh, by the way, Steve Wood is in jury selection in Louisiana, so he couldn't join us today. But he's a millennial as well. <clears throat> but he's 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 a pretty tough guy. But I mean, I, I went through the school of hard knocks. I mean, that's how I grew up, um, being very young and through high school and through college. I mean, I I got yelled at, I got humiliated sometimes, and I. I sucked it up because, um, oh God, what my football coaches did to me today, what you just can't do today, what you can't, what, what my football coaches did back in the day that you can't do today is, um, incredible. Um, but it really, it built me as a, a, a person from a, you know, personal, uh, strength and, and, and character and, uh, being able to take, um, you know, and graduate school getting, you know, really tough criticism from professors, that was really, really needed. And it seems like when you do that today, um, hell, you're lucky if you don't get a lawsuit, right? Um, yeah. How do you, how, how do you, how do you communicate constructive uh, criticisms and maybe what are some of the landmines that you've stepped on? Well, I, I can uh, do constructive criticism by texting a meme to them and how, <laughs> yeah. how they've screwed up. <laughs> Try not to uh, suck so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it, it, you're, you're right. It, it, it is very, very hard uh, in, in this, uh, you know, this environment. I try and approach it as a troubleshooting conversation. What I don't like and what, you know, my fellow partners that I've talked about this with it's, you know, when you have an associate that is looking to be told what to do every step of the way, that's not the way to do it. Uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's one of those things where if you have that situation, you as a partner, you should just do the work yourself. So when mistakes get made, or, you know, if there's an, a gap in judgment, I want to talk to the person about it and say, hey, have you considered this? You know, not really the Socratic method, but it, it definitely hints on it, you know, try and give them ownership in mm. the whole problem solving solution uh, so that they're not taking it as an attack on their character. Yeah. Uh, there have been times in my career where I've had associates that I'm like, here's my red line. I can't talk to you because I'm too frustrated right now. <laughs> or I, I just say, here's your, here's your red line. Let me know if you have questions. And yeah. I'm thinking, I am so frustrated with you. I can't, I can't communicate in that collaborative process. Amig we call that amygdala hijack. Us big guys <laughs> call that amygdala hijack, right? Uh -huh. uh, I also call it uh, preventing blood from shooting out my nose. Yeah, because I'm that's, so that, that's a good, because I, I mean, I mean, you know, because I think it's sometimes you want to say, um, okay, you need to get your head out of your ass, right? Wake up right um short of you know slapping them across the side of the head um which is how many of us grew up um but yeah i see that as i, I see that as, as as being a big uh a big challenge and uh i think people need to suck it up toughen up a little bit it's um you know to get back I, I i don't know i think 
I think, I think some of the, I think to grow and to get better, you know, people need to, people need to hear good constructive. I mean, I'm assuming that when, when you were going through, uh, uh, that those early, that, that first five years, um, I'm sure somebody told you to get your head out of your ass a few times, right? Usually it was a judge. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that works. You know, you know, <laughs> it, it's, it's one of those things where I do agree that people do need to suck it up. Unfortunately, I think we are seeing a shift in, you know, work life expectations. Yeah. And unfortunately, if we just take a mindset of, well, I had to go through hell to get where I am. Thus, you know, the, the young folks yeah. need to, or, you know, the, the newbies need to do the same thing. I think you're going to just increase that turnover. So it, it's, it, it really is about paying attention to what's going on. I'm not saying I have all the answers. I'm not saying I handle everything perfectly. Lord knows I don't. Uh, but you know, it's, it's, it's trying to make the best of a bad situation yeah. uh, when you, when you come to these things and, you know, trying to get people in the door nowadays, when you say, okay, 2000 hours, which equates to 40 billable hours a year at 50 hours uh, or 50 weeks out of the year, they're like, yeah, I actually just want to do 1800. <laughs> and there's just the, it's it's a sense of entitlement unfortunately and a pay raise and a corner office please thank you oh yeah well <laughs> uh, hey I, I i started first seven years of my career i had a lovely cubicle uh but that's when i was a uh, plaintiff's attorney uh, making awful money and working in this deplorable conditions uh i can't believe you but, said that on the i can't believe you said that on yeah the hey hey wow. i i I, I've done I've done it both ways. I understand the mentality from the other side. That's why I'd like to think I can do um, I, I, I do pretty well as a defense attorney is yeah, I don't have just the defense attorney blinders on. but sure. it, getting to the, the the concept of you know that bad experience molded me to who I am as yes. a partner now. I, I got a great example of how not to be a lawyer, how not to be a partner in a law firm yeah. uh, for my first uh, my first job. One thing that I and I maintain this to this day is I probably stayed too long at prior firms. Yeah, but, you know, I am not one that is going to make the jump just to make a jump, and I think there's a lot of that lacking. Uh, in, in associates nowadays, they, they want to spend six months, spend a year at a firm, then jump to a new one, jump to a new one. Well, they're never going to get any relationships where they can ever be considered partners. Yeah. You know, that's, that's just not, that's, yeah, that's, that's kind of mortgaging your future yeah. at the expense of today. And it, it, there's no, that the, there's a, la a lack of foresight in terms of what that absolutely means. And I'm not saying you stay just to stay because, you know, Paul on the podcast with Bill says, hey, <laughs> you, know, you should stay and not not move. Well, it uh, seems like, like a short, I think the jumping around is a short-term solution to maybe a long-term problem. Yeah. Um, oh, well, I, I, I think that you're seeing a lot of people that went to law school that didn't know why they went to law school or they, they became a lawyer and they didn't really know why yeah. they wanted to become a lawyer. And so they're, they're, you're seeing people that are unhappy with it. You're seeing people leave the practice of law. 
So I, you know, there is, you know, people should be happy. There's no doubt about that. It, but that doesn't change the the realities of firm life where we're seeing in Chicago and and it seems like everywhere uh, you've got these firms that are just like yeah. they can't get enough quality people. And I know it's not just my firm; it's every firm that that I talk to with 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 attorneys wow. uh, seeking associates. It's tough. Um, okay, so what are some other good pointers you can? Okay, so you know the associate that that stays does the right thing. They're on the right track. They get on the right track. Um, what are some other things they need to be doing uh, to get to the even next level higher besides being overly well, demanding, but, but showing it behaviorally? Well, they, they should pick up the game of golf. They should drink whiskey. No, okay. I'm, 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 I'm kidding. You know, every the, joke's the half I, true. Yeah. Every joke is half true. Yeah. Oh no, it, it, it definitely is. Yeah. Uh, you know, an associate, yeah, I came out of law school in 07, the beginning of the Great Recession, couldn't find a job for almost a year. And then when I got one, it was just like, okay, I could get fired any any day of the week just because yeah. there's not enough money coming in. Uh, I look at the the first, the, you know, one of the, the first traits that I, I look for is, is an associate that's trying to make themselves indispensable. Someone that I as a partner can rely on. Uh, you know, I'm not saying they're going to do my job for me. Uh, my the way I work is, I am not going to ask somebody to do something for me that I'm not willing to do myself. Uh, there are times that I have to ask for help just because I don't have enough hours in the day, and there's there's it's priority tasking. But you got to have somebody that's willing to put in the work. Understand that you as the partner are you know, there to, you know, to guide the, to guide the, the, the work of the case to, you know, have that relationship with the client so that more cases come in. But if you have an associate that's indispensable, you can keep counting on them on your, your toughest cases. And you start having those conversations with them. Yeah. That's where you have those conversations of, you know, trying to get that buy-in process. I, I've had some great right-hand men and women uh, as associates, and you know, one of one of them is now one of my partners um, yeah. at Siegel McCambridge. And you know, when you find somebody like that as 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 a partner, uh, it, it's like gold. So that that's probably the number one thing that I I look for. Couple in with you got to you got to want to work hard. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not saying make you know work the only thing that goes on in your life. That's my job as a partner. Right? It's it li eat, live, sleep uh, breathe, work. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it, work hard, make yourself indispensable and show initiative throughout the process. Don't just like wait for me to say something, you know, it, it's, yeah. you need to be working through the case. You're the, I, I'm going to you to spitball it. I can't tell you how many cases I've had where I'm talking with my associate and we're just spitballing. Hey, what if they do this? What if they do that? What about this issue? How does that issue correlate with this over here and the ultimate trial strategy those you know a it shows to me as a supervisor they're thinking they're engaged they they care about the case and, and they're critically thinking but it's that process that you know they're trying to troubleshoot it just like i am and that that really brings that team bond into into that associate partner relationship that is great stuff that's great stuff um you want to do some viewer mail with me since Dr. Wood's sure. around? Oh, this is great. Never done viewer mail with the guest. You're going to love this stuff too. Because, you know, 
courtrooms are back going. A lot of trials are going on. So I'm getting a lot of trial questions, a lot of jury selection questions, but I'm going to hold off on those. That's a whole separate episode. Um, I got some greats. You're going to love this. Um, okay. So question number one from a viewer uh, from, these are from trial attorneys. These are from audience members. Um, Not given from jury, home given, office in Sioux city, Iowa. In Sioux city, Iowa. See, no one watched, no one remembers the the David Letterman that you and I remember. Oh, uh, darn it. Back in the day. All right. Uh, question yeah. number one. Um, given where we are at today uh, uh, and uh, horrendous uh, attention spans uh, with jurors, what is the ideal length of the defense opening statement? I have very strong thoughts on this. I say 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, hey, well, well, you, well, you're wrong. So that's that's okay. I, I'm tell sure me your I rationale. Am. <laughs> it, it, you know, it, obviously, it, you know, depending on how much information you got to get through. That's true. Opening, that's true. You know, if if it's a simple rear end accident on a case that's going to take a day to try, yeah, it should be ten minutes exactly. or less. Exactly. Uh, but you know, I, I think out of all the openings I've given, I think I, the most I've ever done is actually forty five minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're going to lose their attention. Yeah. You know, I, I'm trying to lay out the roadmap for the, for the case, give them the, the ammunition or give them, you know, the idea that there is more than just one side to the, this story. That's not what the, you know, all the nonsense that just came out mm-hmm. of the plaintiff's mouth uh, during their opening statement. But it's, you know, you, you, you tell a story and you want to make it interesting you, as long as you're keeping it interesting, you keep their attention. But for some reason, a lot of attorneys, they are like, well, I can have an hour and a half. I'm going to use an hour and a half. No, Not good. you don't need it. You, Not you don't good. need it. Not uh, good. So yeah, yeah. that my, my idea is 45 minutes to an hour. Well, depending you're, on you're, the complexity of the case, I, I think I, I think you're right. It largely depends on the complexity of the case. Um, for most, I mean, your your neuropsychological sweet spot is thirty five to forty five minutes. You know, but, you know, it's more is not better when it comes uh, to opening. We know that. So, but I do I do see a, a huge risk of going longer and longer and longer. Um, a, it just looks bad. <clears throat> uh, B, it typically means you're not a very good storyteller. But see, you are going to lose your attention. Uh, less is more. Use emphasis. Use power. Uh, use that, all these all these tricks that we have. Um, but oftentimes, less is more uh, to the jury. All right, that's question number one. That's not bad. Oh, here's another one on opening statement, uh, Paul. Um, uh, what is the best way? I have very again. I, I have very strong thoughts on all these. But yeah, you're the guest, so I have to rely I, on you for these answers. I, I wouldn't um, expect you not to have. I know exactly. Um, what is the uh, what is the best way for the defense to start their opening? Where do you start? Everything they just said is bullshit. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, my cousin Vinny. <laughs> uh, no, so I. <sighs> But, but, but you're right. That is the right answer. That is yeah, what you just I, I, said, that you can't it, say that, but that is how it, you start. You just, you, you just can't say those words. But yeah, yeah that's how it's you usually, start the opening. It, it, it's usually something in that vein, yeah. but obviously not those words. It's, it's try. you know, I know, yes, they've, they've, the jury is 
gotten acquainted with me during jury selection, but this is the, the really the first time they get to hear my story in its entirety. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you got to come out and say, somehow, politely, and just say, hey, there, there are facts that we disagree on in this case. Yeah. There are two sides to this story. Uh, yeah, the last medical malpractice case I did, I, I think I said, you know, there are two sides to this story. And if you follow the medicine, your verdict should be for us. That was the opening line right there. And that encapsulated the entire case. So it, it, it's really about pivoting towards your story. I hate that word. But I hate that. In... Do, do not use the pivoting word on this podcast. Yeah, it's a band, uh, you know, it's a band word. <laughs> yeah, how about shifting? How about shifting? Shifting. Yeah. Okay. P- pivoting is only acceptable when you're actually giving an opening statement. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's, not, it's not acceptable when you got a witness on the stand. Thank but, you. You know, <laughs> you gotta set the you gotta set the, the differences. Yeah, you're right. Uh, up right th- right then and there. They've already heard, they've been yeah. thanked enough. Um, you know, at some point, yes, you got to say, okay, thank you for this. Please pay attention, blah, blah, blah. The plaintiffs are going to say that. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm a big fan so of it, coming out of the corner swinging. Yes. Not, not, yes. Dan- not, 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 not dancing around and, and, and putting someone else or something else on trial e- e- immediately. Yep. I, I don't like the, we didn't do it opening. Oh I, gosh. No, I, that's no. A, a, it's that's awful. They, you know, from from my experience, saying just we didn't do it or we are not to blame, yeah, or we are not responsible, Mm -hmm. you're shooting yourself in the foot, knee, and amongst other places, amongst other places, you know, it's you know, um, Bob Tyson talks about it, you know, you get you take responsibility for something. And I, I don't disagree with that concept. You have to you have to own your client. You know, when I'm giving giving openings and closing, it's we. Yeah, I am part of the client uh, and yeah. because that's the, the the mentality that that I have working with these people. And if they if if it's just like me holding my nose and saying, okay, you know this this is my client over here. No, 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 no. I got to stand with them. That's the only way like that I know how to argue. And, oh, I'm sorry. Give a non-argument opening to a to a jury. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that 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 shows that I care about this. You know, you've got the sob story mm-hmm. on the other side. You know, we we are here. Our professional reputation is being attacked, and we're not we're not going to just take this lying down. So we have to say, you know what? Yeah. In cases where where the injuries are horrible, you have to recognize those. We have a difference of opinion on the dollar value. There's a reasonable difference. People can have differing opinions on, on what something is worth. When you get to liability, I mean, that's the ball game right there. You, you know, that's that's where the opening really has to drive home and just keep swinging as long as you're telling a story, making sense and keeping their attention. All of yeah. those things are important uh, at the beginning. You know, I I, I think that the best sum, summation on this point is, you start the opening with your elevator pitch. What is your, you know, 15 words yes. or 10 words that your case is all about? If you if you come up to somebody in, in an elevator, you know, you, you walk, you're talking to your, your family members, hey, I got a trial uh, tomorrow. And they say, what's it about? You gotta have you gotta have that quick hitting why you win, what it's about and why you win ready to go. 
and direct it in, in the right direction. It, it needs to be directed yeah. in the right. Yeah, that, that's the key. Not this case is about a doctor that didn't do anything wrong and is being wrongfully blamed. No, <laughs> this case is about the plaintiff. This case is about alternative causation. This case could be about an empty chair. The fact, you know, what, yeah. whatever. Uh, come out of the corner swinging puts something else on trial. Question three, use of visual aids during opening statement. Yay or nay? Yay. Yay. Uh, no, I'm not saying throw every document up there, uh, but I like using documents during openings to really help me tell the story. Exactly. And, and it also has the, the, the great benefit of if I draw an absolute blank and if everything <laughs> goes out, I can look at a document and be like, you know, See? ladies and gentlemen, this document says the blah, blah, blah. Next document, please. And this is why, it, and try and get back on that way. But juries expect some level yeah. of technological sophistication, uh -huh. some level of performance when it comes to openings and closings. I, I've seen openings where other lawyers have put 50 documents on and it looks like a disaster. I've seen openings where one document has been used or, or even no yeah. documents. And there are times where you don't have to use anything. Uh, but you, if you have key documents, key evidence, key demonstratives, yeah. you should show them to the jury uh, and explain why they matter. Because when you're beating up John Smith expert and that's the first time they see that document, they're like, okay, maybe this is important, maybe it's not. It, it, it is the chance to tell a story of what matters in your case. It really does. And hence, hence the reason for mock jury research to figure out which of these exhibits are important, which ones do you want to lead with, which ones don't get you very far. So you know what you're doing when you make those decisions. Okay. This is an awesome podcast. Let's finish with, of course, I just looked it up <clears throat> in Las Vegas. They have the Chicago bears total wins for the season. Under over is 6.5. I got to go under on this. I'm sorry. I, I hate to break it to you, Bears fans. There's there's plenty wrong with this team, including the stadium, including the mayor, who's trying to keep – now they need to go to Arlington as fast as possible. Um, I'm taking the under on 6.5 because I still think there's no offensive line. I think Justin Fields uh, will likely be in a hospital by game seven. And um, I just don't see the talent on this. I think they're going to be a terrible, terrible team um, around four wins. Paul? I think it's going to be between four and seven. So I will take – I'll go – I'll take the over because it's six oh, and a half. It's so bad. If, if, if it was seven and a half, I'd be taking the under. I just – I think it's going to be seven and You ten. think they're winning seven – the Chicago Bears are going to win seven games? Are you out of your – were you drinking today? Already? Not yet. Not yet. I, are not you yet. sure? Uh, you know, I have for a head injury, I, maybe. What the hell's wrong? With you? <laughs> you know, I don't have any other hope in oh. Chicago sports right now. Uh, you know, the Cubs are on a fire sale. I don't. Uh, that's not Tony Larusa and the White Sox falling asleep. The Blackhawks <laughs> stink, and the Bulls don't start till October. So, uh, I got to say, I'll, I'm going to say seven wins. Oh, this is so going to come back to haunt you. We're, hey, I, you'll be my, on before my, the end of the year. 
Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. My, my predictions the last time we got together were spot on. I think I went, oh, for the century. <laughs> <laughs> That's why, we, you know, it's, again, it's when, when, when you're doing this stuff, it's, it's all in good fun. But uh, if, I, if I was anybody out there with 100 bucks to spend, I would be putting it on the under six and a half Chicago Bears. Uncle Polly, thank you for coming on the podcast again. We'll have you on before the end of the year, probably on a panel. This was an awesome podcast to our audience. Thank you for participating. We love doing this litigation psychology podcast. We'll see you next time. Bye.